You are listening to Mommying While Muslim Podcast, where hosts Uzma and Zeba share their personal stories of mommying in a post-9-11 world. This podcast is designed with the Muslim American mom in mind, so grab a cup of coffee and pull up to their table. Assalamualaikum, everyone. Welcome to another episode of Mommying While Muslim Podcast. This is Uzma Jafri. And this is Seba Hassan, and this is kind of like a special episode for us because it's just the two of us today. Yeah, yeah. Why do you think that is? <laughs> well, why it's special that it's just the two of us? No, why or is it why... just the two of us? <laughs> well, okay, we're doing Mental Health Month, and obviously we do try to bring on um, amazing guests, but of course, because it is a mental health month, these mental health providers are extremely busy, unfortunately, um, and, and there is an intake in um, mental health issues and emergencies that uptick, happen. Yeah. Uh, uptick. Mm-hmm. Um, thank you. It, in December, um, specifically, because it's either around the holidays that triggers certain, you know, trigger people. Um, the sad, sad, which is the seasonal affective disorder starts coming out. The days get shorter. Mm-hmm. The, the, you know, and I'm saying this as a personal, um, literally it happens to me too. Like I have to get up. I have to literally put my big girl panties on and be like, okay, I'm going to wallow in self-pity today, but I'm going to get up and be, and I have to be very proactive about dealing with, um, like the, I call it the winter doldrums. Cause I don't necessarily get depressed, but I definitely feel less motivated than mm-hmm. normal. Um, and it's harder for me to get three things done. That's the only way I can describe it. So who am I calling a lot? my therapist, of course. So clearly (laughs) she is busy dealing with me. So why do you think that is? Um, I think it's the same thing. There's a lot of people that are reaching out to these um, therapists and providers that we've also contacted. So they have this choice to make, either support the people that clinically need them or come onto a podcast where they're just coming on to inform, both of which are equally important. But I think showing up for these people at this very critical impasse at a a regularly, you know, anticipated time of the year should take precedence. Um, But it's also very draining on therapists, understandably so. So I had a friend um, and she's been on here before, Sadia Jalali, who Mm -hmm. is a family um, and marriage counselor who's been on here before. And she's like, people laugh at us because it's like doing eight therapy sessions back to back. I mean, it's you as a coach, hard. yeah, right? it's really hard. You know how draining it is. I don't do more than three and right. that's a lot, mm-hmm. like a lot. If yeah. physically takes your energy, your emotions, you go through it. Yeah. I couldn't imagine doing eight. There is no Right. But it's like for physicians, it's like you're expected to see 40 a day. Right. Yes. So therapists are like, oh, heck no, that would never, ever happen in therapy. Yeah. So, you know, and again, even eight is like so draining. Like you need Mm -hmm. a couple of days to recover both physically and emotionally because you are not just a sounding board. You're also kind of a sound absorber. Yes. You know, and some of that stuff is really heavy that you are taking on from your clients and understandably, These people need a break just as much as everybody else. And, you know, this is the busiest time of the year. I think I put up a reel yesterday about how busy Muslim mothers are 
during Christmas time. I'm thinking, oh my God, for somebody who doesn't celebrate Christmas, I am doing a whole bunch of holiday stuff (laughs) for Christmas. Um, But, you know, of course, as being an interfaith partner, you know how it is. We definitely love to celebrate with our um, Christian and Jewish brothers and sisters, but it does. I That's why I get excited at the last day of school, which for us is today that I'm like, okay, my duty is done as far as like Christmas stuff. Now I can relax. Yeah. Yeah. Well, you know, I just hope that everybody who needs to get their cups filled does that before the end of the year, because you don't want to start the new year, like on a negative, like you don't want to start in the red. So everybody get into the start in the red. You know, we do have something that will help fill your cup. We have our Dallas retreat coming up um, mid February. It's on our website, um, www.mommywellmuslim.com retreat. Um, I have to say, I'm looking forward to that because I don't know about you as much. I definitely need to be (laughs) filled. My cups need to be filled. I wish the retreat was like now, to be honest. But silver lining. We get to see each other. We get to hang out together this Christmas. So I'm super excited about that. That'll be so, so fun. Yay. Okay. So look for our reels and all that good stuff um, coming up because I'm pretty sure Uzma is going to teach me how to do social media and maybe (laughs) I'll actually learn. Inshallah. You know, you have to approach it with the growth mindset. Like I am teachable. I can do hard things. Reels is not as hard as pushing a baby out of my hoo-ha. You've done okay. it a few times, so you can, yes. you've done hard things, eh, but you can do Okay. Roles. Okay. Yeah. I'll think about it. I'll I'm empowering it. you. As long but as I meantime, don't have to dance, I'm good. No, we're not dancing. I okay. sort of did a pseudo dance on our story so people can check it out before it disappears. I'm hoping it'll disappear soon, <laughs> 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 but yeah, uh, I am jamming because we still have a lot of work to do. We still have to wrap up our Muslim mental health hot topics this month. And so Zeba and I are going to do it because we think that it is really important and really relevant to do it right now, especially in the wake of the recent demise of popular TikTok star and former DJ to Ellen DeGeneres on her show, Twitch. Yes. Now, do you want to catch up the audience to speed or catch them up to speed? Those who don't know what went down. Well, if people don't know what went down, um, Twitch, I, I actually have to look it up myself, to be honest with you, because I just, somebody just texted me and it's like, oh, Twitch is dead. And of course I had seen him on the Ellen DeGeneres show. He kind of like brought her out. He, he brought up the, the dance piece. He's a famous TikToker. Um, and the beautiful thing is he and his um, multiracial, it was a mixed race, um, kind of showcased that when they had three beautiful kids and he literally posted something the day before with them dancing Dancing. together and hanging up together and smiling and laughing. And they had just celebrated their anniversary, which goes to show you that was less than 24 hours before that you really don't know what's going on in people's lives. And then he ultimately um, went missing. His wife said he was missing and was trying to look for him. It wasn't like him, she said. Um, And ultimately they found him at a hotel and he shot himself. Um, and they found his body, um, the next morning. Um, obviously if you just Google him, you'll see all of that, but we just really wanted to talk a little bit about, um, suicide and suicide in Islam and suicide from the maternal perspective. Um, and from a wife's perspective, because can you imagine they were literally filming a dance TikTok 
the day before, and they had just celebrated their, I believe, ninth um, wedding anniversary. Um, they had three beautiful kids, obviously very affluent, you know, because he was a producer on the Ellen show. So all the things we think would make it so that you wouldn't, you'd be so amazed and happy with your life. He kind of checked the boxes on that. So then you have to think, what was it that got him to that situation, you know, where he literally shot himself um, in a hotel room? Yeah. And I think it begs the question, like, how often are we judging people based on appearances only? Yes. We're doing it all the time. Even those of oh, us who are like time. so super sensitized and we like try to educate ourselves. Like I think I pat myself on the back very frequently. Yes. Like, oh, I'm trying to imagine what everybody's invisible battle is. But no, if they they look good, look good. I'm going to move on to somebody who doesn't, you know, yeah. and that's just in my mind, I, I'm trained to triage, right? Yeah. Looks good. Looks good. Looks like they're dying is dying. That's where I'm going first, you know, which so, by the way, she was triaging right before we started recording <laughs> today. And I was like, okay, I'm just going to sit here. And or Zayba just had to wait while I like took care of people who are dying. It was just like, I'm sorry. You just have to wait, you know, because <laughs> you're not dying. You look good. But, you know, it could be that you had a bad day today, you know, Yeah. and a lot we're seeing a lot of like Twitch reposts and it's like check on your friends that look okay because it's the happy people, you know, the people who have developed these coping mechanisms to put a smile forward. And like um, we're going to be making some reels and generating some reels um, about how fine we are, because how many times do people ask us how we're doing really? Oh, I'm fine. And we're so not, especially mm-hmm. not just in this season, throughout the year, especially in this season of like high stress, high activity, busyness, a chronic American busyness. Um, I think it's really important to, yes, do that, um, but also re-examine our approach, I think, to other people and their invisible struggles. So I appreciate that. I'm sorry if I missed your invisible struggles this morning in my <laughs> triaging. No. And, and, and that's something like, you know, a, a lot of people, I, I can definitely um, appreciate that because, you know, uh, people will meet me and they'll be like, oh my gosh, you're just amazing mom. You have the beautiful kids da, 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 and not recognizing the struggles, unfortunately I've had to face. Um, and, you know, I've never got obviously gone through with the suicide th- suicides, but I've definitely had suicidal thoughts in the past um, and having to walk past and walk back. And I've had to develop my own coping mechanisms in order to deal with certain things that um, have happened in my past and how they get triggered and come up. So I, I pretty much am that person where they would be like, I wouldn't, couldn't tell. And you have this charmed life, but not recognizing everything that goes on behind, um, the background, which is why for me, as you know, for, or social media is concerned, that's one of the main reasons why I kind of stay off of it a little bit because of that. I recognized even myself in all honesty, I was portraying, um, a curated version of myself, which was still true without, without all the things that happened in the background. And now as by God's grace, mommy, while Muslim was gaining more popularity and things like that, I started feeling like maybe I have a sense of responsibility to be more either take it off the plate or be more real and authentic. Um, and, and not just showing one version of myself and it being open. Like 
I don't have makeup on. I barely brushed my hair. I am still in my same clothes as yesterday. And partly is because I just didn't have enough energy to get it done, you know, and I'm just um, being honest about that. There are some days where I can put on my Tulula Banks hat. That's my alter ego that I have to literally put on in order to put on a show. Um, but most of the time I'm just Zeba and I'm not this loud, gregarious person. I'm a very quiet, introverted person and it, it is hard. It's definitely hard. So I feel, I feel it. Like I understand it. Um, and I get it, unfortunately. Yeah. Well, I hope that you know that Tallulah Banks does not need to take up space when you're around me. Yeah. Oh, we, you know, you've seen it yeah. all, unfortunately, Unfo- unfortunately, but really, unfortunately, yeah, fortunately and fortunately, but Tallulah Banks is my alter ego. And I've said mm-hmm. it to a couple of close people. I um, mean, I'm sharing it with you all today. Tallulah Banks is my alter ego that That's I your have stage to name. Phys- <laughs> physically put on. I feel like I have to zip her up and put her on when I go out in public and because it's just not my um, favorite thing to do. I'm just, it's just a very hard thing for me to, to do that. So I get, and I, and I have a feeling a lot of these people that you say, oh my God, they're smiling and they're happy and they're gorgeous and they're da, 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 They're putting on yes, a version of themselves, but maybe not the most authentic version of themselves. And we need to acknowledge that and to create space for them to be there. Like in my case, boring, quiet, go to bed early self. Yeah. But I don't think that's boring. I think that that's a a self-preservation thing that you do that you have to do, you know? So there are, um, a lot of ways that people learn to preserve their own energy and their mental space and their mental health, you know, God rest his soul. I don't understand. Um, what Twitch was doing. Maybe it was the dancing with this family that was a means of self-preservation, but you know, what happened? I don't think anybody will ever know. Mm-hmm. Um, and I don't, and I don't think, think even he would know, right. Cause yeah. you don't know what flips a switch to get you to that point. Yeah. You know, but what worries me is those high functioning people with mental health disorders or diseases. Um, and we all have them, you yeah. know, I believe that I'm a very high functioning anxiety, anxious person, and that's okay. Like I'm under treatment. I'm good. Um, I have you, I have this podcast and I have the ability to, to lie down. I have the luxury yeah. of just turning it all off and saying, no, I'm not going to do that today. Right. Um, some people don't get that, or maybe mm-hmm. some people haven't, um, evolved that, that kind of a system. Yeah. yeah. But what worries me is that we as adults have trouble with this. So what about our kids? Because yes. I don't know if you've noticed, Seba, I have noticed this where the teenagers now, it's very common, very common to not just bully each other, mm-hmm. you know, for material things like your shoes suck, your clothes, you know, like my friend, my fr- son's friends are currently like, why do you dress like you're poor? Yeah. <laughs> I'm he's like, like, what well, does I that even you. mean? What does that even mean? Because to me, he looks like everybody else who's walking out of the school. I know. They all he's like, like I don't okay. know what's wrong with my clothes. I'm like, nothing's wrong with your clothes, honey. If you're comfortable, it's fine. But you do kind of, you could make a little effort if you wanted to, but he doesn't my thing want is to. be clean. Like yeah, change the clothes your underwear, are change your socks. Yeah. Well, we have hamper for that. Right. So that we makes have it hamper, very, so we're we good. have a hamper exactly. for that. <laughs> no, but, um, it is not, it's not just, you know, it's like a generational thing. Every generation makes fun of their peers clothes. Okay, fine. Yeah. I get it. But, um, now it's like the directive to somebody that you don't like, or you're mad at is go kill yourself. Yeah. 
Can you, have you heard this? Okay. So no, I a hundred percent. I mean, there, there's a, on your text, it's KYS. Okay. So when you see, shut up, when you see KYS on your kid's text, that's, that's what somebody is telling your child to do. Means. So it's oh K- KYS, which means kill yourself or KMS, which means kill myself. It's thrown around so easily. Yeah. It's like nothing. It's like saying hello yeah. for these kids. And so I heard my son say it. Um, he said it to his brother and I'm like, you're saying that's my other kid. What? The, I was is I wrong, like almost crashed the you? car. I was like, yeah. what? Why would you say that to anybody? He's like, no, ma, it's funny. Like we say to yeah. each other, watch. That's literally and then he calls part- his friend and he like tells his friend to kill himself. And I started screaming at both of them. I'm like, yeah. this is not appropriate. I'm telling your mother and, you know, she's going to come after my son. I know. And I'm like, you deservedly need to get your butt kicked because if yeah. anybody tells my kid to kill themselves, I'm coming for him and I'm exactly. putting them all in therapy, you know, and it's. It's just become like a commonplace thing. But I, what I think that teenagers don't understand is the uh, very, very rapid internalization of any kind of subliminal messages and uh, um, suggestions that they have. Because again, I have to remind them, you're missing a third of your brain. It's not active yet. You know, your frontal cortex that allows you to make good decisions is not developed. And if you keep hearing people saying, kill yourself, you might could do it one day. Um, so I had to draft an email to my kids yesterday. I'm like, listen, I know you won't always talk to me. I hear the way you talk to your peers. If you ever for a half a second or millisecond, think about hurting yourself, even think about it. I want you to dial the National Suicide Hotline 988 or call 1-866-NASIHA. Um, so that you can talk to a peer counselor, because I was like, I don't ever want you to think that you don't have the ability to talk to somebody because when you and I were growing up, it wasn't around. And I know when I was a dumb, stupid 14 year old, I did. I made a lot of, you know, half-hearted attempts. I always did it so that somebody could help me very rarely did I do it when I, I guess a couple of times I did. So I was somebody who did take pills Mm -hmm. and it was anti-inflammatories and Tylenol. At the time I was not a physician. So I didn't know that Tylenol overdoses can actually kill you stupid. Yeah. So I tried it and I got really sick and I didn't tell my parents what I'd done. Um, And then I did a bunch of Advil and thank God I did bleed to death, but I did that multiple times. I was a cutter in high school. Mm -hmm. So I used to cut my arms. Um, I uh, had trichotillomania, which I learned the name of in medical school, but I was like, oh yeah, I used to do that as a middle schooler, which is pulling your hair out, literally hair by hair. I would pull it out and I would not be satisfied until I could see the actual hair plug. So I had to keep pulling, you know, and it it didn't hurt. Somebody who was losing their hair, that hurts (laughs) my feelings on so many levels. But at the time I had the hair to spare because I was like, you know, a teenager. So I would just sit there and do that, you know? And I, so it's, and that was before social media, yeah. you know, and the constant bombardment that was for me, I think my attempt at gaining some kind of control yes. over, um, excessive restrictions, mm-hmm. unwarranted restrictions mm-hmm. on my childhood and my teenagehood yep. and my natural development that I deserve to have. So my kids don't have any of those restrictions now, yet they have social media bombarding them and telling them, you know, access to all these electronics and the regular messaging of kill yourself or tell them to kill themselves. Or why don't they just kill themselves? Like you, you cannot minimize yeah. what this is. 
And the research is showing us, particularly for Muslim population, yes. Muslim Americans, Zeba, can we get into that? Yes. Why this kind of persistent uh, talk of suicide, like it's nothing, is so damaging to Muslim kids and adults in particular. Well, we like I literally just um, we were researching this because it was one of those things, because, of course, with the the Twitch incident and quite frankly, a couple of other um, incidents throughout the years of suicide, we've had some DMs um, and the reality of the situation is, according to the JAMA Psychiatric, um, the Journal of American Medical Association Psychiatric a magazine, they published a study that said nearly eight percent of Muslims in the survey reported a suicide attempt in their lifetime compared to um, 6% of Catholics, 5% of Protestants, 3.6% of Jewish. So essentially almost double that than some of our other counterparts. Mm-hmm. Um, and obviously this was anecdotally in a, in a clinical setting, but it was just one of those things that they're definitely seeing an uptick in suicide or suicide attempts in specifically in the American Muslim community. Um, and this was uh, this was by Dr. Rania Awaz. She actually said this. We were trying to get her on the show, but she's also very, very busy. So we will sh- share her show links, her show stuff in the show notes. Um, and she is the director of Muslim Mental Health and Islamic Psyche- Psychology Lab at Stanford University. And she is specifically researching this particular topic. Um, and it's very disheartening to me, but I'm not at all surprised. What about you? When you read that, what were you thinking as a medical physician? I mean, obviously I was shocked because I'm like, what is it that makes Muslim uh, two times more likely compared to their peers than their Protestant peers? You know, it's like Catholics, I kind of get because I'm like Muslims and Catholics, like we like like kind of live on that edge of, are we going to hell? We like perpetually are afraid of going to hell, right? So I was like, okay, the fact that the two of us are high, that makes sense. But what is it that makes Jewish people so capable of like being so resilient. And well, it's not that. Yeah. I think that's the appropriate word. Is that offensive that I'm saying they may no, be more resilient? No, but, but according to this, um, the study, it said that it came down to actually two factors that they studied. One was um, religious discrimination, which of course we get and our Jewish kind of parts get. So that I would say is equal, but also the community stigma that um, people perceive that they're receiving. So that's the other thing, because it's true. I feel like in our particular community, we are extremely judgmental of one another. And a lot of these kids, to your point, do not have the resiliency or the resilient, the coping mechanisms to deal with um, some of this community stigma that inevitably comes up. Some of these kids don't know how to handle that pressure of all this, un, you know, of the gossip of people talking of this and that, or, mm-hmm. or you're not living up to the potential of your parents, the perception and the expectation of who and what we're supposed to be and not living up to that can really be um, harmful to a lot of our youth within the community. This month's episodes are sponsored by Guidance Residential. Every year, Guidance Residential sponsors MassCon, which will be held this year in Chicago from December 26th to December 28th. Sign up with a licensed account executive to discuss your Islamic home financing needs. Register at www.masscon.com. And I think it's really important not to dispel the... um, 
the influence of Islamophobia and racial discrimination, especially in this country against Muslims, because you and I, again, grew up in a time where, you know, it existed. There was an undercurrent, but it wasn't blatant in your face like our kids have been born into. Yeah. So they know no other reality. So they literally have like every day of their conscious life, they have heard that Muslims suck, right? Like thank you media all over the world for that, by the way. Uh, But according to a 2020 poll by the ISPU, the Institute for Social Policy and Understanding, 60% of Muslims reported experiencing religious discrimination. And this is professionally, personally, um, sometimes in schools. Mm-hmm. Um, a lot of times in schools, a lot of times more and more. Yeah. yeah. More and a teacher more just got fired in Florida mm-hmm. for like stepping on kids while they're praying and violating the first amendment rights way to go teacher. Um, the FBI, um, has some hate crime statistics to suggest that, yeah, you know, the ISPU is onto something here because as of 2019, um, there were 17, over 1,700 anti-religious hate crimes in this country, over 13% of which were um, anti-Muslim bias related. So it's not that it's a small thing. It's not that our kids just need to get over it. It's not that, oh, it's not that bad. Like we cannot minimize like how Islamophobia is affecting our children. It can literally damage their self-esteem, their self-confidence. It can prevent them from developing those resilient, those coping skills in order to combat any kind of bullying or external pressures that they're feeling, because there are not a few. Every generation has this jihad or internal struggle. And the, our children's generation has a particular set that even you and I, Ziva, have, have no idea mm-hmm. what Didn't these experience. kids are going through. Yeah. yeah. 120%. Yeah. And, and because we had um, the opportunity to develop um, a Muslim identity before um, the negativity came in, our kids are having a harder time um, embracing and developing that identity. Um, And and honestly, even uh, connecting to other peers with similar, stronger, a strong identity. And that, as you know, from a community perspective is really helpful in um, in maintaining mental health and mental health um, and preventing mental health issues is that sense of community and if they don't have that opportunity to even establish the identity to begin with, they have a harder time connecting to other people within their community with the same identity. So that's another reason why um, it's very difficult for them um, to to handle these types of things because they, they on some level kind of believe the hype for lack of a better phrase, Mm -hmm. right? Because Mm -hmm. they don't have any other experiences. Yeah. And I know that the generation before us, and I would argue even many members of our own generation will say, well, this is not a problem in our community because Muslims will not commit suicide because suicide results in eternal hell. And that's it. We we don't do that. We're not that special. Yeah. I hate to break it to y'all. We ain't that special. Like, I know that there's a lot of traditions that tell us how special we are, but we are still human beings. We are, I don't want to call mental health like a fallibility, but we're vulnerable to all kinds of illnesses. Like why, you know, like Allah has created so many magnificent things and mysteries and we believe in the ghaib, the unseen. So this is something that's unseen. Doesn't mean like we believe in a God that we can't see. Yeah. Why can't we believe in a disease that we can't see? Yeah. Or diseases we can't see, or you know, a plague on our community that we can't see. It's yeah. there. Okay. Yes. And every time a young person 
dies and doesn't wake up again, everybody else is thinking, you know, foul play or they're thinking substance abuse. I'm thinking, okay, maybe substances, but was it suicide? You know, and, and sometimes why the substances? The substances are yeah. used to quiet their brain, their mind. It is a coping mechanism. It's a coping mechanism. And not honestly, a good one. Not a good one. Is. But there's a huge um we've used uptick a lot mm-hmm. because there it is. It's, it's literally going on. There's a huge epidemic right mm-hmm. now in the youth. And by the way, starting as early as 11 years old, whether we want to admit it to ourselves or not, where they're using substances, whether it's alcohol vaping. or marijuana vaping to, um, help them deal with some of their, um, depression and anxiety. Um, and it's, it's, they're using it as a coping mechanism starts off as, I'm just going to, I'm trying to help myself out, then becomes a habit, then it becomes, um, and it is a gateway for a lot of other harder drugs as they get a little bit older. And by the way, happening within our Muslim community, whether we want to admit it to ourselves or not. Yeah. And honestly, a lot more than we even will acknowledge to ourselves. Which is why I think we don't wait for the funerals of our young people. God forbid, God forbid, God forbid, Allahumma ameen. I think it's important for us as parents to start now as young as we possibly can, like, Hey, you know, you're going to middle school. This is what you're going to feel. And some kids you might even notice earlier. I don't know. I didn't have that experience. My kids, it's all as they're entering, you know, and I think it's a developmental thing to get a little bit angsty um, around 11, 12, and they Mm -hmm. withdraw a little bit and their personalities are changing. They're trying to separate themselves from us because they identify as us their parents and they're identifying as their own independent, which by the way, is totally normal and not cause for alarm for a lot of parents. Yes. Don't freak out. But my kid used to be like that. Yeah. You know what? You used to be like something else too. And now you're not. So just, it's okay. We are humans. We evolve. And so our children must have that space and room to do it too. We just have to talk to them and say, Hey, you're going to feel this way. You're going to feel a certain way. Let me know if you're ever thinking of hurting yourself or hurting other people, because I know know how to keep you safe. I will help keep you safe. Just align, be an ally to your child, be a soft place that they can come and turn to. Because I promise if you leave that door open, eventually they will come Now, My kids hate my guts because I see something or I hear something like go kill yourself. I'm signing them up for therapy and they're going to go. Yeah until I get tired of taking them there, you know? Yeah. So they're currently very upset with me because I put them all in therapy and they're like, and it, the therapist, like therapy should not be a punishment. And I'm trying to explain to them that it's not, I'm using it as prevention yes, for something exactly worse, right. you know? And for people who have followed the podcast, you know, that in both sides of my family, mental health is an issue. Suicide has probably happened in at least one side of my family, but it's like the dirty family secret that nobody talks mm-hmm. about, but at least two people in my family, two different generations have fallen off a flat roof in India. Indian oh. roofs are flat. Okay. Yes. It's really hard to fall off the roof. It has a boundary wall and everything, guys. So there's railing. So, mm, you know, it wasn't raining or nothing like that. So what happened to them? Allahu alam, you know? But I warn my children now because I did not take it seriously as a young mother that it is very possible for you to hurt yourself. I wanted to hurt myself during my postpartum psychosis period. And it's, I want to prepare them 
early and normalize therapy, normalize medication. If the therapist thinks they need it, I want to make it normal to destigmatize mental health and suicide. This is not going to be a dirty secret. This is going to be something that we talk about because I don't know, did you ever grow up and um, hear about somebody who committed suicide and like their funerals all hush hush, the conversation is all hush hush about their death. Even when you go and visit the family, if you go and visit the family, did you ever have that experience growing up? No. Okay. I did not. Um, cause we had different experiences that we're not going to get into on, on this particular yeah, podcast. Yeah. Um, but I definitely feel like, you know, mental health in general is something that that's, I mean, I could probably, you know, as somebody in that particular field can diagnose or sub-diagnose or let you know, like this person's having X and Y and Z probably can do with some medication and this and that, but it's not something that they talk about. What I could say is, uh, on my side, there'd be more willing to think that somebody was possessed by a gin. Yes, then they then <laughs> ha- they have mental health issues. Mm-hmm. And to your point, they're both unseen things. Why would you assume you're possessed versus you having significant mental health issues? Which we do have. Obviously, we do. Um, we do have in the family. Obviously, including myself, um, which was unfortunately exacerbated by. Um, traumatic events that have happened because sometimes it's just an underlying dormant thing or, you know, comes out during hormonal responses. It's a physical manifestation. You're the physician here, which by the way, just passed all of our boards. We are so excited about that. Um, so, you know, of anybody that this is exactly the case, some of this stuff lies dormant, something triggers it, some, some sort of chemical response. Um, there's a, there's, um, a lot of influx when you go through hormonal changes, which is why you see that, um, postpartum, you see that peri, perimenopausal, you see it postmenopausal. These things unfortunately do happen and they're within your brain chemistry. So, you know, this goes to show, like, I think you were just telling me before we started recording, you know, when we say, think automatically you have an, I thought like, let's say you did commit suicide and you're outside of your mind. I think you just said, you read something about, um, that Omar Salomon just said about that, um, which I thought was extremely fascinating. Um, you know, he's got a video on wishing for death, um, and suicide and I, you know, full disclosure, I haven't watched the whole thing, but we definitely will link in into our show notes, but it's, if you have a chemical imbalance, mm-hmm. that is a disease. It is. And if disease. you, it's something you're not in control of. And if we're not in control of our own minds, Islam does not hold us accountable for things that are done when we are not in our right minds. Okay. And anxiety, depression, you're still able to make decisions. I understand. But when you get to a point of wanting to end yourself, or uh, which is also, else. you know, over some other outside circumstance that you probably don't even have control over, but yeah. you don't, you're not able to see at that point, reality versus what you've perceived your perception, your reality are completely skewed at that point. So are you really culpable? Um, there is an article from Seekers Guidance that we're going to put in our show notes um, that is from a particular scholar who says that there is no eternal hellfire for somebody who commits suicide. The only eternal hellfire is for disbelief. That is the one unforgivable sin is shirk. Everything else is forgivable. So I feel like we have created this boogeyman of an Allah when every day, how many times a day are we starting with Bismillah rahman rahim Yeah. And, the, and we're and forgetting, we're denying his yeah. most essential names. And we're, you know, we're just going with, he's like the mean, bad God, like the, you know, the evil God, the atheists are always like the Old Testament God is so angry. 
hey, we grew up knowing him as the loving one, as or the at least we one. should have grown up yeah. when you actually read and understand that he is the most merciful. But as and we grow up, we lose that belief. Well, I right? feel that like I, the opposite though. I feel like as I've grown up, I've in my own journey towards reading Islam, about yeah. Islam and this and that, like, it's such a beautiful thing. Like mm-hmm. in every single, like everything that even in helping, like I use the Quran and I use, um, you know, the mindfulness and all that from an Islamic perspective to help me with my um, mental health. And it's prescribed to us in so many different, to do it that way, Mm -hmm. to be really, don't just pray for the sake of praying, but pray because your soul, your body physically needs it. Like Mm -hmm. what a beautiful thing that that was mandated to us because Alyssa knew better yeah. for us as a, as a humanity, like take your he, five minutes, five times a day and talk it. to me. I'm break. right here for you. <laughs> take a break. And actually the, the most beautiful thing is because of course we, you and I, maybe we were raised a slightly different, but we were definitely like, if you do this, you're going to hell. If you do this, you're going to hell. If you do this to your, yeah. God's going to be so angry. Yeah. It takes, it's, it takes a lot to get to yeah. hell. Okay. Let's just yeah. be real about that. A lot, a lot, a lot. Yeah. And, you know, my younger two have been reading a lot and, you know, I've been really focusing more on that, like reading and understanding and all that. And Z3 came at, came at me. He's like, mama, you know, when we read this, I just realize it's a beautiful thing. It's written so beautifully. And that made me feel so good because instead of being afraid Mm -hmm. by what they're reading, they're, they're using it as an opportunity to help gain those mindfulness um, techniques that mm-hmm. God has pref- literally pre- prescribed for us and understand that the world is bigger than themselves, yeah. right? Because sometimes we get um, pigeonholed into this thing and then you feel trapped yeah. and there's certain things we just can't control. Yeah, we can't. And, and, and letting that go it's, it's an amazing tool for, for, Mm -hmm. it's so freeing when you truly understand. Mm -hmm. I can't control that. Yeah. There's nothing I can do and worrying about it or being obsessed or anxious or whatever the case isn't going to help me right now. It's Mm -hmm. only going to make it worse. So what an amazing thing to recognize that there are certain things out of your control that you don't have to do, but as parents, what we can control is, you know, that resilience building and the coping skill building for our kids. So please don't take Allah away from the kids and do it, please make him accessible, do it with them, make him present the loving God that he presents himself as, you know, like, why do we have to, the whole instill the fear of God that is not from Islam. Mm -mm. You know, we don't, uh, what is it? spare the rod. Don't spare the rod and spoil rod, the child. Spoil the We're child. spoiled the child and spare the rod. Spare the rod. Like that's yes. how Islam works. You're supposed so, to be. <laughs> you're supposed to be. If you follow um, the prophetic model, the prophetic model is parenting, that. no rods, <laughs> there's no rods, you yeah. know? Um, so please provide the kids an opportunity to have that conversation. And, you know, you can bite your tongue, you can cross your legs and squeeze your fingers together. If it's making you uncomfortable as heck, hearing what it is they have to say about what it is they see and experience every day, because they are spending eight to 10 hours outside Mm -hmm. in the world being assaulted by all kinds of um, pressures and stimuli that are not us. 
Yes. Um, so we, we are responsible at the end of the day for what happens. And if it means you got to pick your kid up and take him to therapy, um, we will put in our show notes. Also the FYI.org. You've heard Dr. Yes. Samira Ahmed on here before about porn addiction Great. and the porn addiction toolkit that the FYI has, but guess what they also have the suicide prevention mm-hmm. toolkit. We heart the FYI toolkits. Thank you for that. So if you don't know how to initiate that conversation, start with the toolkit, um, look at uh, the articles and the videos that we have linked in our show notes. And please, this winter break, use it as an opportunity to just sit down and talk with the kids. It's completely free, completely free. And be willing to understand that sometimes you're going to hear things that you don't like. Yeah. And that's okay. Yeah. I did a family meeting with the kids because the behavior was, and some of the toxicity was getting well too toxic. And so we went out to dinner and we sat down. I was like, we need to talk and it's getting really toxic. And one of my kids called me out and he's like, well, the toxicity started with you, mom. Okay. Okay. So I had to like zip my lip and listen. And it was hard. And what was harder was to say, you know, son, you are right. Because he was. He was like, you're the one who spoke negatively to us when we were little, and you're the one who established foul language in our family. So this is all your fault. And I'm like, you are 110% correct. But I did have to show him. I was like, did I not make any kind of strides and grow? Yeah, and Does this that is count what I'm for trying anything? to do. I'm trying to grow. Yeah. I'm trying to grow and I'm trying to get you to grow more than me because every yeah. parent's ideal, like our dream is that you are better and go farther and just thrive and get closer to Allah than I will ever get. Like, that's what I want for you. Um, and so, yeah, you're going to hear things and you're going to have to accept culpability in some cases, because at the end of the day, you are, Yeah, you're the parent. It it is all all our fault. And oh, therapy, the therapist is going to tell the kids it's all my fault. No, the therapist is going to tell you that it's your responsibility. Yeah. Because it is. Yeah. And that's that's the other thing too, because a lot of our community, pe- members of our community are fearful that the therapist puts ideas into their head. Like we hear that as the number one thing. And I can tell you with 100% certainty, and I've gone through a couple, that is not the case. What the therapist does is lead you through a series of exercises so that you can come up with that conclude whatever conclusion on your own and to help you guide you. So they're not saying anything's anybody's fault or this and this and that and blah, blah, blah. They're not putting ideas in your head. So we need to take that out of our, um, our, our mind as well, but really they're there to help and be a, a, an external, external sounding board. And sometimes you just need that in order to move forward with a whatever party. It is that you're going. Yes. Yeah. You just need a third unbiased party to kind of watch. And We've had Muslim therapists and non-Muslim therapists, and I've been pleased with all of the above, whether I've done therapy, a couples therapy, whether I've done it individually, whether I've done it with my kids, with and for my kids, it's all been good. I, you know, you can have whatever preference you want. And if anybody needs help finding a therapist, we can help you find a yes. local one. There's so many Alhamdulillah Muslim therapists now. We've, I think, done a very good job on our social media, on our Instagram and Facebook, linking the accounts that will help you. You can find them. Um, therapists in particular need to be licensed in the states where they practice. Mm-hmm. So if you are in a state where you can't find one, let us know. We know how to contact um uh, the Muslim Mental Health Association, and they have a database of therapists all over the country we can help you with. And I do not want to forget my special population of older people, mm-hmm. just because you had a beautiful gifted life and you got through a million things. Don't forget our older generation. 
some of whom have gone through a lot of trauma, mm-hmm. a lot and, of trauma. And, and they and did not have the, the benefit of um, prescribed therapy and the willingness to go to therapy. So they haven't processed a lot of what they've gone through. So you're a hundred percent right. They never learned the language. And so now when they get older, things may start to come up or behaviors may start to exhibit themselves. And as a sandwich generation person, I have to tell you, we're not just wrangling our own baggage, our mental health. We're wrangling our children. We're trying to set our kids up for success, but we can't forget the parents because they are at that age where they're now re-examining their lives and they can go one of two ways. They can either be like, wow, I was really successful. I did good. Or they can be like, ah, man, I'm a failure. It sucks. You know? Um, And just given uh, all of the uh, financial, social changes that they went through sometimes, you know, not seeing their families anymore after leaving them overseas, living through wars, displacement, internal displacement, um, for all the financial crises that have happened in multiple different continents, and then whatever family dynamics are, whatever social dynamics are. I mean, it's a lot. They've carried a it lifetime a of this weight. And so I think it's important for our older generations who are tuning in as well, take a look at the ones before you as well as the ones behind you, do not forget to fill your own cup in the meantime. We don't want to have any more tragedies and we want those that 8% of Muslim suicidality, 1% is too high. So 8% is unacceptable and we can do better. A hundred percent. And we're going to go ahead and link all of the resources that we came up. Um, and, you know, it, it was an unfortunate incident, obviously this week um, with Twitch and with his family and all of that. I mean, he's but it's something that starts and warrants conversation. Um, and if anything, it happened during mental health awareness month. So having these conversations, I think, you know, by the way, having them does not make them happen, which is a, another thing a lot of people believe, but having them allows us the opportunity and gives us, um, to your point, name it to tame it. When we understand something, we can more likely fix it and help our children um, by creating an open uh, platform for them to come to to us to, to, in order to talk to us. I didn't mention that um, somebody in my neighborhood, older person diagnosed with a terminal illness um, before he got to a point where he could no longer be, well, he was almost at a point where he was completely dependent. So did everything right? Even decided to agree to go dancing, which is something he never, ever, never, not ever did with his wife at the country club because she loved to dance. And he was not going to go to the dance, but one of the other neighbors called the couple that they used to go out with and said, Hey, you know, she really wants to go. Maybe you can show up one more time for her. He was going to, we think he was going to send her off before he did what he was going to do, but he ended up going that night and dancing with her one last time. And so the next day when she went out to her tennis, whatever, um, she came back home and found him in the pool. And you know, it just goes to show you never know what somebody's hiding. You never know what somebody's planning. You know, I think it was actually a blessing that he left her a note before he said goodbye. Um, and she had that last dance. But please check on the people who are smiling because like is not, it's kind of like the whole Meghan Markle situation. How are you doing? Like, really, how are you doing? You know, um, be sincere uh, and be ready to accept a sincere answer and a naked answer because that is where we will find our truths. Everybody be healthy. We will see you next year. Assalamualaikum. Thanks again for joining Zeba and Uzman Momming While Muslim today. Please email us your thoughts or questions and follow us on Facebook and Instagram because this podcast was designed to cater your needs. 
make sure you check out the show notes to find the links and resources for this episode. And remember to help a mama out and leave a review of the show as well as to like it on your podcast app of choice because that helps us grow. Tune in next week for another episode of Mommy Wall Muslim. Assalamu alaikum, everyone.